78644 is brought to you by Texas Hatters, Corazon Team Austin Realtors, The Little Alamo Airbnb, El Rey Bar and Nightclub, Wendy R. Bookery and Gifts, and Birdie House. Our in-kind sponsors are Willigan's Island, Courthouse Nights, Printing Solutions, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glaze Photography. Fela Kuti was a Nigerian musician and activist who launched a modern style of music called Afrobeat. It fuses American blues, jazz, and funk with traditional Yoruba music. When he was in London, he encountered various musical styles by playing piano and jazz and rock bands and then returning to Nigeria in the mid-1960s. He reconstituted a band called Kula Lubidos, a band in which he played in London. The Afrobeat sound emerged from that group's experiments. In 1969, a Kula Libido strip brought uh, Kuti to the United States and had a big impact on his music and ideas. He met in Los Angeles an African-American artist named Sandra Isidore. And Isidore introduced Kuti to the ideas of African-American civil rights activists such as Black Panthers, Malcolm X, and Angela Davis. The music, rhythm, and sentiments that mix in Afrobeat cover a lot of ground that we also hear in the songs of Latin music, Latin protest music, and then the music of New Orleans. In this episode, we're going to dive into all of it. I'm Stephen Collins, and this is songwriters have an odyssey to tell, and Jeremy Joyce is one of those. He's a songwriter that was born in Philadelphia and then went to St. Louis, then to New York, ended up in New Orleans, and now is a resident of Lockhart, Texas. Jeremy stopped by the studio to play some of his songs and tell a little bit of the story that uh, is so fascinating about his life. I don't think I told you the whole story. Um because it's kind of crazy. So um, I was, I had heard about Lockhart from two people. One, I heard about it from knowing Natalie Ribbons, who I think I met in New York maybe like 10 or more years ago, probably more than 10 years ago. And then I also knew it from watching uh, James McMurtry's live streams during the lockdown, because I was uh, you know, tuning into his live streams from time to time. So I was like, oh, Lockhart. Because that's how I knew that Lockhart existed, was from those two folks. And then um, last year in September, I was down in Nashville for Americana Fest. I had like organized some events and I was um, performing a little bit. I was kind of like checking it out. I had just spent four months living out of my car. I had basically decided to leave New Orleans with zero plan. I had no plan. I put everything I owned into storage, got some good camping gear. I was doing some gigs and stuff like that, but really I was like living in the woods, hanging out, like all around like uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains and stuff like that. I was living out of my tent and I got like 
deadly sick, like super COVID. Like I must have caught COVID. I mean, I never tested positive for COVID, but I must have got like super sick. And I was like living in my tent. I was like, oh, this is the worst. My buddy Matt called me and he was like, hey, do you want to come and work ACL? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, I'll come. I'll come. But what's really funny about that is I'm sitting there. I'm in. I'm, I'm, you know, living out of my car, like sick as a dog. Right before he calls me, I do like this little tarot card thing with some t- with a book that my sister gave me, you know. And I did it, and I was like, oh, all right, boom. And I swear, I put all the the cards out on the the table, and I looked up what they meant because I don't really do that that often. And I was like, oh wow. And I get the phone call. I get the phone call, and I'm looked down at the cards, and I have the phone in my hands, and I'm like, all right. I'm going to Texas. I was like, well, this has got to be a sign. So I basically just had like all the stuff that was in my car. uh, And I drove to Austin the next day. And I sort of started looking for an apartment. I found something that sort of fit my requirements on the east side. But it just like, it just wasn't my vibe. You know, like, it it just wasn't my vibe. And I guess at that point, I decided to come down to Lockhart. You know, I'm I'm from Philadelphia. <clears throat> I grew up in like hardcore music, indie rock music, you know, being like a lead guitar player and those type of things. So I didn't really have ex- like experience with like working music scenes where people just worked as a job. And I also grew up really poor. So in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, if you learned some stuff about computers, you could get a pretty good job. And it was, it was different. It was kind of exciting and new. And I was just a kid that was good at, good at math and science. You know, I didn't really have any idea that like uh, a guitar could pay the bills, you know, being like from Philadelphia. So I just, I just kind of like in my early twenties, just decided that was going to, what I was going to do. I dropped out of an English program. Uh, I dropped out of an English program, took a couple computer science classes and got a job. I was in St. Louis uh, and I was working for uh, AT&T. I was finishing off, paying off all the debt from the financial collapse. So I was getting out from under. So this is 2012-ish. And we're talking about Fannie Mae. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got got sort of in a a bad situation. Um, In the housing collapse. mm Mm-hmm. You know, and it took me, probably took me six or seven years to correct everything. I'm finishing up this, this project there. I'm sort of getting associated with like the St. Louis music scene and I meet some pretty interesting, cool people there. But at this, at the same time, um, like right around, I, I think it's September of, of 2013, uh, my mother passes away. So before I became like a traveling IT contractor, I was my mother's full-time caregiver because she got early onset dementia at a very young age. So I was, I was in Philadelphia. I was in, a, I was in a bluegrass band, in a bluegrass duo. And it was tough because we were doing well and we actually like knew that like big labels were looking at us and stuff and it, you know, and then all of a sudden it was like, I got to 
move my mom into a house and, and take care of her. And so I moved her, I moved her into a house, you know, and, and took care of her like the, the best I could. It was a tough situation because she was really young. And this is also a time where people don't really understand the dementia thing all that well. There's really no guidebook um, in terms of like how to handle illnesses, your own emotions around it. It was tough. You know, I felt like I was like giving certain things up. And then at the same time, like I had all this stuff come up where I started to feel like closer to my mom than I, that I, than I had ever felt. But it was all, it was so challenging because like, uh, you know, I did stuff like I had a job, I put her into an adult daycare. I would, um, you know, drop her off in the morning, pick her up. So basically like that sort of became my life. Like I had a, I had a bike. I lived in a hilly area of Pennsylvania. I would cycle. I would play guitar and banjo at night, but that was basically my life at that time. Around the time that my mom goes into a facility, my brother gets out of prison. I'm sort of working on moving my brother to another state to get him sort of like out of the area and into like a different, just a more supportive uh, environment. A week after that, um, my brother ODs on fentanyl. So around that time that my mom goes into the home, my brother passes away. I'm just like a mess, you know, I'm like drinking. So I quit my job. I take like the first job that takes me out of town. And I spend like the next years just traveling all around, just doing different jobs. In the IT world. In the IT world. You know, I still have some guitars and banjos and steel guitars and stuff like that. And I'm joining bands and and sort of b- being a very good non-professional musician. In New York, I buy a small apartment, lose my shirt on that. Spend the next six years digging out. I f- get to St. Louis. I get to work for at and I'm finishing up this contract. I just got all my debt back to zero. And around that time, you know, it's starting to look like my, my mother's going to pass away. I fly back to um, Pennsylvania. And uh, my mom passes away. And then you go back into funeral mode. You go into funeral mode. That is a deep place to be. You go through the picture boxes. You go through all the old stuff. And this is now the second funeral that me and my sister have had to do together. And I'm just realizing through all this that me and my sister haven't been all that close. And she's moving to New Orleans for a job like that week. So we get done the funeral and I'm like, well... I don't really have anything going on. So I think I'm going to move to New Orleans. And she's like, what? (laughs) She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to move. You know, we're going to hang out. We never hang out. We're going to hang out. So I moved to New Orleans. My sister rents an apartment, not just in the French Quarter, but like in the heart of the French Quarter. She never she never spent time in New Orleans before, so she rents an apartment in the and she has a car. Is it like on Royal Street or something? She lived on Royal Street. Oh, she lived no no no. She didn't live on Royal. She lived on Saint Peter, across from the gold mine. Yeah, I know. What you're... 
Yeah. And so like <laughs> uh, 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 two blocks off bourbon, right? Yeah, that's deep horror. Oh, yeah. And also like everyone's going to go stand up at gold mine all night. So people are scratching cars, you know, sitting on stoops. And so I spent six months, maybe four months living with her. But I had just, you know, quit my job, paid off all my debts, buried my mother. And now I'm a somewhat competent guitar player living in New Orleans. And I, but I think I'm really good. You know, like I'm 35. I think I'm really good, you know? And then I get taught that I'm not as good as I think I am. And I go out and I, I think I'm going to like be a busker and I'm just going to razzle dazzle them, you know? And uh, I just like fail. And um, what happens is, I sort of meet up with some folks and I'm like, yeah, I can play a major six chord. And there's maybe like not enough rhythm players that day where it's like, okay, like I can, I can play some of these, um, you know, traditional jazz tunes. And I sort of, you know, I don't know. I learned how to play like the Sheik of Araby and stuff like that, you know? So, cause I had taken like three guitar lessons with Jim Campolano in New York and one of those lessons was the Freddie Green approach. Uh, Freddie Green was uh, Count Basie's rhythm guitar player. And the Freddie Green style is basically like a, it, it, it's basically like a rhythm job. You're chopping, you know, ch- 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 you're chopping the chord, but you're not trying to play the whole voicing. You know, I, in New Orleans, I, I developed some skills. And I guess like at a certain point, you know, I, I just got with the gigs and uh, I was sort of like wanting to level up, but feeling some frustrations around that. But honestly, it was like having direct, just just being involved in like some really like terrible, violent crime situations. No, oh, to get out of New Orleans. Yeah, that's kind of what... I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that's, it, that's picked up in the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, I, I had like kind of like been really close to some really bad things that happened. I really like found myself there, you know, like I completely transformed as a human. I made like, you know, I, like, you know, at at this point in my life, like most of my friends are there, you know, it's like it, I go back and it feels just, just like home, you know, I, I was playing full time, but I could never really financially get ahead. Yeah. You know, like I was making enough to pay my rent, but I never had any, any extra money. And like I said, it feels like a path to me. Like, it, and it really doesn't matter your level of success as it's perceived by the outside world. To me, what matters is that you are on the path. And that doesn't mean you have to walk anyone else's version of the path. Your version is yours, the one that's true to you. And that's the way music is. It's like, it's sometimes it's a sacrifice. Sometimes it's a great reward. It's always a risk. But in the end, you have this like beautiful gift, which is being able to create music. I'm an old and fellow. I'm feeling fine and mellow. I got a woman by my side She always takes a slow dance 
She knows how to romance This never needing nothing tight She said it's not so scary To be ordinary all night Birds flying high, candles in the sky. I used to think, oh man, I'm free. I never really knew what a woman's love could do. Don't wanna fly from tree to tree. She said, you're not a bird. Bring that loving home to me. I travel near and far by aeroplanes and cars. Like a stone, I'm going skip, skip, skip. I never felt that peace till she put my mind at ease. Don't want to take another trip. She said those sailing days are over It's time to dock the ship My sailing days are over It's time to dock the ship Jeremy Joyce will be playing at Commerce Hall Saturday, May 6th. The show begins at 8 p.m. You can find out more information on Jeremy at jeremyjoyce.net. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y-J-O-Y-C-E dot net. And now a little word from our sponsors. Attention all hat lovers. You are cordially invited to a once-in-a-lifetime celebration of the master hatter himself, David Torres, at Texas Hatters. If you own a hat crafted by David, this is a can't-miss event. Join us on July 2nd from noon to 6 p.m. at Texas Hatters to celebrate the incredible skills and talent of one of the world's most renowned hatters. Bring your David Torres hat and mix and mingle with other hat enthusiasts while enjoying mouth-watering barbecue from Kreitz Market. But the fun doesn't stop there. We're also calling on all musicians who own a David Torres hat to get in touch with Texas Hatters at 512-398-4287 for a chance to perform at the event. 
Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to showcase your talent and entertain fellow hat aficionados. So mark your calendars, grab your David Torres hat, and get ready for a day of fun, food, and festivities at Texas Hatters. We can't wait to see you there. Come on down to Texas Hatters, where we top the best. Mia Alejandra and Sarah Barlow. Sarah is the voice teacher for Mia, and Mia um, came in to get voice lessons after her mom uh, took her down to San Antonio, and she was at the Selena Museum. When she encountered a, uh, a older gentleman there who said that she had a light about her and that he wanted to hear her sing. So she did, and he told her that um, she should uh, get some lessons to make a demo and send it to him because he was Selena's father. So she came in to talk to us a little bit today about that process and to sing for us as well. Sarah Barlow, her teacher, joins us to talk a little bit about um, the Sunflower and Friends Music School. You've been taking lessons from Sunflower for how long? Um, I'd say about a year and a half, about. Um, I started out with uh, Dylan as my first uh, mentor or like teacher vocal coach um, for about three to four months. And then he went on to uh, serve with his band. And then I met Miss Sarah. I mean, I think I, we already knew each other, um, but then I officially met Miss Sarah and she started being my teacher and she's just, she's just great. She's amazing. And uh, she teaches me a lot of things and she's just great. I mean, there's nothing really I can say because she's just amazing. And uh, vocally, she teaches me, well, right now we're learning um, the guitar because I was gifted a guitar and keyboard, but we're learning the guitar right now. But vocally, uh, we do vocal exercises, we stretch. She teaches me about, uh, you know, uh, my throat and how to take care of it and how to take care of my vocals. I've been singing since I was two. I started out at at church, at a Christian church, um, and I was singing with my grandmother because she was always upstage. And she always pushed me to go and sing, go and sing. So I did it. Um, it was very nerve wracking. I never liked it when I was little. I was very hesitant about it, but once I got into it, you know, you, you're in the moment and you feel it and you're like, oh, I really like this. I could sing, just I wasn't in tune. So I was really off pitch, flat. So my mom suggested, hey, uh, I found out we have a, a school here in Lockhart that teaches you how to sing and, and you can learn instruments and stuff. I'm like, that sounds so cool. We waited a couple months where we were financially able to be able to pay for that and then I just got into Sunflower and some Friends, and I've been happy there ever since. Well, when I was little, I was always singing like cumbia type of church songs. Cumbia is mostly known through Selena, so that type of music. Then I really started listening to old, you know, like 60s, 70s, 50s type of music. Uh, from bolero to ranchera to guapango to mariachi. They're all beautiful. And especially the instruments, the acoustics, everything's just beautiful. And I just fell in love with it. I, I just had to sing it. I had to learn how to sing it. I had to learn how to be like them, happy. They, sang, they, they seemed so happy singing. And I wanted that. I wanted to feel that. I wanted to be able to express my... Uh, that my emotions that I was feeling with the song, my music interest was spread 
deeply through like English, Spanish, Japanese, Korean, um, uh, like West African, everything like from salsa to kumbao um, to to everything. It was just spread out and open and. And it's very different because everybody at, at my high school listens to very, you know, rap and very hip hop. And I love that music, too, but I resonate more with the older type of music. Sarah, when you're you've been a teacher for a bit now, because I mean, you're you came at teaching from being an artist yourself. Is that is that right? Can you talk a little bit about your how you got into it? Yeah, um, I guess. Yeah, I've always been a singer and performer, um, musician and um you know, Naomi built the school um, based on her um, violin background, and we, we actually both grew up playing violin um, together and going through lessons, and she kind of had a, a music teacher mentor. And so we, we kind of both firsthand experienced, you know, uh, she became my violin teacher as well. And Naomi kind of took off with that and started teaching violin lessons at a really young age, like in high school. I was kind of gravitated towards, I mean, I've always been a singer, and, um, you know, and then I went through classical uh, vocal training at, through high school. You know, I never took vocal lessons, but I actually had a really great choir teacher and went through that program. And I ended up, you know, becoming a soprano one soloist and our choir went to um, Carnegie Hall. And so I, I got to experience, you know, performing at a really young age. I was in musical theater and that was kind of my my goal was to be on Broadway. And so I have a really strong background in performing in general and really kind of singing and the power, the power behind it, you know, belting and being on stage and everything. I ended up, you know, getting into blues at a really young age. I worked with Clifford Antone. And, um, and so through my whole music career, um, I've just kind of, uh, I've learned, I've kind of studied on my own a lot and really delved in deep to the music. And you know, I also have a background singing and playing violin in a mariachi group. So I was able to take that kind of knowledge with me. Also my blues background and just performing in general. And then, you know, I've, I've been performing in Austin and, and doing a lot of that. And it just sort of naturally progressed into, you know, Sunflower and friends wanted me to teach vocal lessons. Um, so I've been now teaching at Sunflower for about three years with vocal students there. And, and Mia's been a student of yours for how long now? I'd say three, about six, wait, that's eight, November. <laughs> we had one oh, showcase. Six months. Yeah. Oh, so, six months, so, yeah. So pretty recent, yeah. 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 And um, that were you, uh, when when you guys got together, was this, did you decide to, to start working on a mariachi type of style from that point? Or had you been doing it before? Mm, yeah, I was already doing that. I believe our first song was like oh I can't remember but it was a mariachi style song um if it wasn't mariachi it was ranchera um but more of an old type of ranchera not the new ones um but yeah we started out with with that type of music and yeah yeah. I took over um Dylan Bishop was teaching and um yeah yeah it was cucurucucucucucucucucucu is a ranchera song by uh, Lola Beltran. I don't know who the original creator is, but that's the version that I was singing. But Lola Beltran is my idol. I'm always yeah. telling Sarah, she's so amazing. She's, she sings with such a passion, um, as well as Chavela Vargas, which also sings Cucurucucu. I'm always telling her about new artists that I find, um, or new songs that I find interesting that I think she would like. I learned how to, um, how do you explain it? 
how to control my belting um because it's very hard i mean I, I know it for a lot of people it seems like it's really easy but really it's really hard to to belt out and keep the air inside of you without like stopping to breathe she teaches me a lot about that she's always telling me breathe remember to breathe so that i can keep it uh, in my core and progressively sing louder um stronger and longer obviously um she teaches me that she teaches me um we do yoga um and it's really nice she has a business in it i believe right mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's, that's um, you do you talk we, what is the business you have with the uh so i have a wellness business called stardust superfoods and yoga um and i also have programs that i've been um developing um at antones uh well they're they're based out of antones but it's in collaboration with the sims foundation um and my programs i've created um I guess they're about almost three or four years old and it's called yoga for musicians. Um, so within that, you know, it's uh, wellness, uh, mental health for musicians, um, also being able to, to breathe and decrease stress and just learning. So I kind of incorporate that, um, my yoga background um, with helping performers um, with their posture, you know, um, power stance, seated posture, and then working on um you know, breath work through breathing deeply through the diaphragm. And so from strengthening the diaphragm, then you, um, you know, it's a, it's pretty much the same as yoga. Yeah. Um, okay. And just applying that to performing yeah. and, and mm-hmm. singing. And, and how it can help, yeah, singers and, and, and performers. And, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. It's, it's a cool thing you've got going. Um, the thing, one of the things I love about Sunflower and Friends, the music school, is the recital. Is it such a great opportunity for people from all ages to walk out to a packed house in a theater and perform. It's a chance for students to get to, um, you know, we, we work on um, their performance piece for months, gearing up for it, you know, gearing up for this one song they'll perform. And it takes a lot of work even to just perform one song. So over, you know, each week they come for their lesson. And so, for example, when I get ready with my students for the recital, you know, they choose the song they want to sing. And then we just kind of go slowly, you know, through the stages of learning the song, getting the notes right, you know, and then learning the lyrics, um, being able to, you know, memorize the lyrics and then get ready for, you know, being in front of that audience. Sunflower and Friends does a great job of um, preparing the students, you know, whether they're guitar, um, piano students, um, we, yeah, we have drum students, violin students, um, and students of all ages. And so, um, every time I see those recitals and go, you know, every time we put them on, um, Sunflower and Friends, I'm almost like brought to tears, like just even seeing the other teacher students, seeing and knowing some of the students and seeing how uh, quickly they've progressed. And it's just a really great, um, experience for the community, for the students, the parents, you know, the teachers, and um, really uplifting thing that, and also the Baker Theater has been really gracious and and having some flower and friends um, every year hosting these, so.
tu cariño Voy caminando, voy caminando y no sé qué hacer Ni el cielo me contesta cuando pregunto por ti mi podido olvidarte desde la noche desde la noche en que te perdí sombras de duda y luz solo me envuelven pensando en ti que yo te busque y si te encuentro y si te encuentro vuelve otra vez Ya no te acuerdes de aquel ayer Olvida lo pasado Ya no te acuerdes De aquel Yo estoy dormida, sueño que vamos los dos muy juntos a un cielo azul. Pero cuando despierto el cielo es rojo, me faltas tú. Aunque yo sea culpable de aquella triste de aquella triste separación vuelve por Dios tus ojos vuelve a quererme vuelve mi amor deja que yo te busque y si te encuentro y si te encuentro vuelve otra vez olvida lo pasado ya no te acuerdes de aquel ayer Olvida lo pasado Ya no te acuerdes De aquel You can see Mia perform on Sunday, May 7th at the Baker Theater with the rest of all the students that have been learning this uh, semester uh, from the Sunflower and Friends Music School. They'll be having the Sunflower and Friends Music Showcase. So come check out all the young talent that's growing in Lockhart. And now these messages. Lockhart has become a destination outside of Austin. I think people from San Antonio, Dallas, Fort Worth, and Houston are starting to learn about Lockhart. It's not just about barbecue, it's also about live music, um, it's about art, it's about a community that is coming together and there's a lot of excitement on the square. 
I purchased this house in 2021 and I loved it because it has great architecture. It was built in 1925. During the 1960s, it was purchased by Marcus Haynes, who is a Harlem Globetrotter. There is a garage apartment next door to it as well. And it has kind of a New Orleans feel look to it. We put ferns out, has the wrought iron. Both of these properties sit on a third of an acre, just off the square in Lockhart. What are you waiting for? Book your stay at the Little Alamo B&B in Lockhart, Texas, like today. Here's a 78644 news flash. Relevant to the time at hand, Lockhart is getting bigger, and with that has come the increase on property tax. And this can start to affect property owners here in town that have been here a long time, as well as those who have come here seeking a place to live that affords both lifestyle and affordability in the music and creative community. Nicole Stevens is a realtor with Fathom Realty for 11 years, and she's lived in Lockhart for nine years. She's coming to the studio to let our audience know what you can do about your property tax and how you can. Get the appraisers to work with you to keep your home valued at what it should be. You know, you get that letter in the mail. It's it's not meant to be a final statement. You know, it says these are proposed, but um, homeowners have options. They can look at this form and, <clears throat> and then do homework on their own uh, and take that too take that to the board. And they, they give you those uh, opportunities to do that through first just appealing or protesting is kind of what they call it. Uh, there is a, there's a deadline. Every county sets a deadline. And so Caldwell set it for May 15th. It's just based on when they mailed out, uh, mailed out their proposed values. So that's coming up. It's uh, two Mondays away, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So May 15th, and I would imagine doesn't actually have, you know, a time there, but I would imagine it's just close the business on May 15th. You got to get that in. And there's lots of ways that you can get your protest in. So one of the errors that Caldwell County admitted to, you could see it on their website, is they forgot to send out your PIN. You need this identifier uh, that goes along with your account number. And it, for whatever reason, was left off. It was an error. They, they said, we're really sorry about that. What you can do is either come in and we'll give you your pin right away, bring your driver's license, and uh, and we'll get you your pin number. Or on the county website, they have a um, uh, email address. Sorry about that. There we go. They have an email address, uh, general at Caldwell, something like that. You can email them. They're going to ask you, I guess, maybe some basic criteria. Just email them and say, here's my address, my PID, which is your property identification number. Uh, something. It actually doesn't even tell you what to, <laughs> to put on there. Just say, I need my e-file pen. Uh, let them respond and, and give that to you. But going in is super easy too right now. They're off of, you know, their office is off of Buffkin right in town and you could go in and be out in like five minutes. You're going to be able to talk to somebody right away. So uh, you need that to protest, to put in your protest online. And it, that part is an online process. I do know some folks that have put in their protest in person it's a little bit harder to document because they do need to record kind of when you requested that, but I suppose they probably stamp something. But online's super easy. You go in 
and you're putting your account information in and they're basically going to walk you through some questions where you would be clicking off your box and you would be saying, hey, here we're, we want to do the protest. And they're going to ask you something really interesting that a lot of people kind of get stumped on, which is, well, what do you think your value is? And you can put in a number there. Um, you can go with last year's number. Really, at this point, you're just putting in a placeholder so that you can move through the application system and just get to the e-filing. Because ultimately, what you're going to do from there is just a little bit of homework that you'll take with the meeting. But that's the first step to getting a meeting with somebody at the office, which is really ideal. These are folks that want to sit down with you one-on-one, look at your evidence package, which I'll mention in a minute that they're going to, that they're going to send that out, or you can go in person and get that, but they're going to sit down and kind of walk with you and explain their data, which essentially is what, um, helped them arrive at this proposed value. And then you had that opportunity to bring your own data. And I can tell you how to do that without, you know, having to do some deep dive. Um, but you're going to go and provide your own data and just have a discussion. And that's really, really, really helpful. Uh, to being able to speak with somebody uh, about that first. And so that's kind of your first opportunity if for whatever reason you need to move on from that with you're not happy with, you know, what y'all arrive at with the, with the value, then you have an opportunity to go in front of your bo- the board, the ARB, which is the Appraisal Review Board. That consists of people in the community. It's going to be a little bit more challenging by then you've got a panel and then you also are now in... Um, kind of a uh, protest with the chief appraiser. They were the ones that will present um, that, that data. So when you go in, when you can first just get that, uh, that meeting with somebody here on staff, what they're going to be looking at is the evidence packet. So once you file a protest, they're supposed to mail that out. And it should be coming out before they schedule your meeting. You're going to send you an evidence packet and they're going to schedule you a meeting with the office. So you want to make sure you have that handful of days before you meet. So there's, it's supposed to trigger that and send that out right away. If you're feeling like, hey, my meeting's coming up or I want a little bit more time, you can go directly to their office and let them know I filed. You guys sent me an email telling me when my meeting is and I need my evidence packet. And they should uh, print it out for you right away. And so what that does is it gives you a further... <clears throat> breakdown. They give you a a footprint of the square footages. They have, you know, one picture. They they could potentially have more. They give you some comparables, which is you you as the subject property against homes that they feel are comps that are um um again also values that they have justified with their own data. So they have this packet of information and there's ways in which you can look through it on your own and confirm really what their data is. They don't always get over to your property. They use drone footage now. They may they may do a drive-by. They're, they're not really walking around and asking you to come in. They, take, they can ask, but most people um, would deny them <laughs> or just, you know, whatever. So they, uh, they can do that. But ultimately, they're probably doing a, a broad scan of, of these homes. It's a handful of staff members looking at every, uh, home in the County. So they've got a big task. It starts in January. So you can go in and say, I want to check your data against what I know. 
And that's really helpful. That's something as a homeowner, everybody should be doing every year because their square footages could be skewed or, or just slightly off. It could be based on old data. Um, so you want to go in and you want to check every improvement. And an improvement is, is really anything that is fixed to the land. So it could be your covered porch. It could be a lean-to shed. It could be um, you know the actual home, garage. Everything counts and is given a unit price. Heating and cooled space has a much higher unit value than a shed. It also is typically going to be built with different materials. So they put different unit prices on each area that they identify. The county is considered part of the greater MSA, the Metropolitan Statistical Area of Hayes and Austin. And that has impacted how the comptroller um, puts pressure on these counties to bring those values up and to say, well, you're adjacent to these really larger metropolitan, you know, big cities. And, and so therefore your value should be looking a lot higher. So the county has this balance of back and forth of working with the state and also working with the homeowner to represent a realistic value. You want to make sure that you have your exemptions in place. Uh, people buy homes lots of different times of the year, or you file an exemption. And the county, of course, has a responsibility to get those things filed in a, in a timely manner. But sometimes things slip through the cracks. So if you're noticing that you don't have an exemption, it could be a disability, it could be veteran, uh, homeowner is the most common, that you, this is your primary residence. It could be senior, whatever that is. If you aren't seeing that uh, documented correctly, then that's a conversation too, because that sheer dollar amount comes right off and, and really, really, really helps a lot. Nicole, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Stephen. I think what makes us different is that we are a very relationship-based uh, team and we come with a servant's heart. So people think that they are either going to buy or sell real estate. They don't really understand all of the options involved. And our main goal is to share those options with the people who come to us so that they have the information to enable them to make a really great decision for themselves and their families. I'm Christina Valdez, Corazon Team at Realty Austin, and we look forward to working with you. It's time for that thing that happens every time, which is up in the sky with the eye in the sky. Hey there, this is a Papa Popovich. I'm up here, uh, I'm up here doing the news. Uh, well, no, not the news, not the news. I'm, I'm doing the, uh, the, the, the uh, traffic report. And um, I don't, uh, we do, there's some things out there on the road. Uh, yeah, that I'm seeing in uh, Union's cars, and there's there's um, there's some other things on the road. Uh, the pastures have lots of cows. Uh, oh yeah, coming coming around here. See, uh, I see a Terry Blacks down there. They got the smokes going, and uh, looks like they're going all full uh, full speed ahead with the Smokies there. Yeah, you, okay, coming around. Looks like a. Uh, yeah, Del Crisis has some smokes going. They look good smokiness there. We're going, it looks good. They got some cars parked there. Uh, there's, uh, oh, there's blacks there. This got some smokiness there. That's good. It's a good sign. 
Yeah, I don't see everything uh, here on the uh, north side of Lockhart's looking good with the smokiness. Um, well, you know, traffic looks pretty normal. People going uh, north, people going south, and see some people going a little bit west and some a little bit uh, southeast. Uh, some few cars, you know, that kind of thing. Cars that coming now here to uh, Smitty's. It's got some smokiness there. It looks good. Um, looks pretty tasty, I'm sure, in there. Uh, coming around down here, uh, going south a bit. Yeah, there's the Chisholm Trail. He's uh, got some smokiness. Uh, seen some smokiness from some other places. Uh, don't know what's going on with that. Uh, Maybe they're doing smokiness with what they're cooking. But there's a lot more smokiness than our cars. Back to you. Thank you there, Big Papa Popovich. It's time for 78644 News. Just a reminder that our lineup is featured on our Instagram page and daily in our stories called The Roundup. If you want to know what's going on in town tonight, check out 78644 Podcast on Instagram. It's also the place to go find out when our next episode is out. We also want to remind people about our 78644 Locals program. It's a $5 or more a month subscription where all proceeds go directly to musicians. Subscribers will be getting an email about our April event the next day or so. Sign up to see where the next hang is at. You'll also get a playlist of all the songs featured on the podcast along with bonus tracks. To sign up, go to 78644podcast.com and click on subscribe. Sign in for a reoccurring donation of $5 or more and as always, don't forget to tip the band. Also, I'd like to remind you to please leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It helps the algorithm find out about the show. It really does help. We encourage you to do so. Thursday, May 4th at Old Pal, Halliana is having her residency from 7 to 9 p.m. El Ray is having karaoke night at 8 p.m. Friday, May 5th, first Friday, is also Cinco de Mayo. The Commerce Gallery is going to have artists Jason Archer, Landry McMeans, and Cruz Ortiz from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. It's an open house. You can meet the artists starting from 5 p.m. and that goes to 8 p.m. It's complimentary cocktails from Tequila 512. The Lone Star Workshop, head over to find unique gifts from Texas artists for Mother's Day or any other occasion. Check out their current show with Don Stark and K-Artist. Complimentary cocktail while you shop. Old Pal will have the Merles from 9.30 to 11.30. The Pearl will have the Bastard Sons of Johnny Cash from 8.30 to 10.30 p.m. Martindale River Cafe will have Tracy Weinberg and Gretchen McMahon from 8 to 10 p.m. Saturday, May 6th, Old Pal will have Sidetrack from 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl will have Lindsey Hinkle. Commerce Hall will have Mushroom Manor Presents Jeremy Joyce, $10 at the door. That goes to the band. The doors open at 7 and the show is at 8. Martindale River Cafe will have Dave Gideon and Kelsey Ray Copeland from 8 to 10 p.m. Sunday, May 7th, the Baker Theater will have the Sunflower and Friends Spring Showcase. Please come check that out to see all the young talent that's happening in Lockhart. Wednesday, May 10th, Old Pal will have Parker Chapin presents Chicken Fried Steak Night, 7 to 9 p.m. The Pearl will have Chris Lancaster from 7 to 9 p.m. Best Little Wine and Books will have Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, May 11th, Old Pal will have Paul Finley from 7 to 9 p.m. El Ray will have karaoke night starting at 8 p.m. Friday, May 12th, Courthouse Nights will present Hard Proof. 
Old Pal will have the Dustin Welsh Regency that night starting from 9.30, going to 11.30 p.m. The Pearl will have the Keen Country Band from 8 to 10 p.m. Saturday, May 13th, Old Pal will have its second anniversary party with Dale Watson, so get there early because space will be limited. It starts at 9.30 and will go to 11.30 p.m. Lockhart Montessori School presents Field Fest, a fundraiser for the local Montessori School. Live music by Mr. Will and the Fraulein's. $25 for tickets and kids are free. Tickets include barbecue by Riley's and wine and beer sponsored by Bevy Spirits. There will be a silent auction, raffles, and face painting. Starts from 6 p.m., goes to 9, and get your tickets at lmsfieldfest.eventbrite.com. Sunday, May 14th, The Pearl will have W.C. Clark's matinee from 3 to 5 p.m. Wednesday, May 17th, The Pearl will have Stony Gable from 7 to 9 p.m. Best Little Wine and Books will have Mr. Carter's Smooth Blues Corner, 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday, May 18th, Old Pal will have Nate Guthrie from 7 to 9 p.m. The Pearl will have an open mic hosted by Michael James Trio. That's 7 to 9, and the sign-up begins at 6.30. That's it for 78644 News. Hard Proof is a supergroup featuring members of Black Joe Lewis and the Honey Bears. The Calm Blue Sea, Cougar Okote Soul Sounds, the Echocentrics, and several other notable Austin acts, such as the Black Pumas. As if they weren't busy enough between Hard Proof and their other bands, the Hard Proof horns have found work as sidemen with such notable acts as Spoon, Antibalas, Gary Clark Jr., Broken Social Scene, The Walkman, Dave Matthews Band, The Band of Horses, and others. We had Joseph Woolard, the baritone saxophone player, and Stephen Bidwell, the drummer, to stop by the studio to discuss Hard Proof and their upcoming performance with Courthouse Nights. I want to get started a little bit um, just to let people kind of know the background of the band. It's a, It's for lack of a better word, a super group of people coming together in one project. But you had a passion for sort of African rhythm and funk and things like that. But when I hear it, it's, it's, it reminds me of the, you know, the, definitely the South African Sub-Sahara thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, that was um, kind of the point. I mean... Back in 2008, I went and auditioned for some indie rock band in Austin, and um, the guy, one of the the guys in that duo, asked me if I if I knew anything about Afrobeat, and um, I was like, "Yeah, I, I love Afrobeat." And he had just moved to Austin from Brooklyn, and would regularly go see Budos and Antibalas, and talked about how they packed out clubs up there. I was like, "That sort of set the gears in motion," and just wondering if we had if if we knew all the right people to do it. And um, he mentioned Joe. Joe was a horn player on that record that uh, that band, that band was called Sea Legs. So he was on the Sea Legs record and then I played in Sea Legs. And um, I I am blanking on where everyone else came from, but well, like- Well, there were, there were a lot of Craigslist uh, connections. So, okay, there was initially. one Craigslist guy. <laughs> Um, I met our original trumpet player playing free jazz. Yep. And then uh, we all did like this. Uh, the guy from Sea Legs also worked at a wine bar 
and had a like a brunch, a poorly managed brunch cake <laughs> that we we all sort of did for a minute, and then um, somehow we we got ourselves in a room and said, like we learned. I know at our first rehearsal, we probably played a Fela song and a Mulatu Azteke song, so kind of East Africa, West Africa. Um, but, I mean, the goal was, like, we're going to do this this instrumental thing. I know we auditioned one singer. Um, yeah. And then we kind of quickly moved on from that idea. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> we had, like, one audition, and we're like, yeah, let's just be instrumental. Yeah. And then... Basically, um, one singer like ruined it for everybody. We what like, what what happened with the singer? Uh, it, it wasn't anything major. It was just you know we kind of liked what we were working on instrumentally, and it was sort of you know we're not against working with singers, but at that time we felt it was important to the identity of the band to push forward with our compositions and playing. So, yeah. and also there's a weird. At least it felt like in that moment there was, was almost a scene for oversized instrumental bands in Austin. <laughs> I mean, not, yeah. I don't, I don't feel like we were taking a page out of the Brownout book or anything, but um, like it just kind of worked. So we didn't want to mess with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, there's a lot of things you have to adjust for the time there, you know, having viable Craigslist for finding musicians. Obviously, you're not going to do that today. Um, you know, and just at the time, like you were talking about, there were bands like Grupo and stuff like that that were, you know, getting their thing together. So it wasn't, you know, it was still kind of a crazy idea to form a band like that. Yeah, and we were still just <laughs> young enough to think it was practical back right. then. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, not so busy with all of our various projects and stuff that it would have been ridiculous to start something like that. You know, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's easier to jump into something that's already rolling than to get something started, particularly when it's, a huge band, you know, the, it takes a lot of energy to kind of get that moving. So it was, it came at a good point in our lives where we could put that kind of energy to getting it started. And now, of course, we've done enough that there's reasons for us to continue all the time. You know, there's some bands that are, you know, within the, the larger Afro genre. I mean, there's a lot of different directions that uh, people can go with it, you know, in their focus. But um, yeah, that, I can think of a few bands that are in that arena. And we have had some shows with some of these other bands, but, um, you know, it, it's kind of a small community for Afrobeat, even if you take the whole world. So particularly in Austin, you know, I've, I've subbed for some of these other bands like uh, uh, Sermon, um, formerly kind of Continental Drift oh, right. is their former name. Yeah. Um, I've been playing with this band Kazuyu that's uh, lately that's not strictly Afro, but you know, very rhythm heavy. It's a really um, killing drummer from uh, a parish in Louisiana. I can't remember the name of, but he, he studied with the same dude I did in New Orleans. So, 
Um, yeah, they were pretty, they're dope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a good little hub around Sahara Lounge these days. Like they have an Africa night every week. I think the last time we played there was with Atosh and it was pretty, that's a pairing that's happened a handful of times over the years and it always goes like really, really well. Just pre-pandemic, we had done a session down here at Danny Reich's place. Still debating what to do with that. I think three or four tunes came out of that. We're like trying to shove ourselves back into writing mode. I mean, we started playing shows again last fall just just to get the thing running. And we're sort of reckoning with a new lineup, but it's a pretty slamming lineup. So we got really lucky for about the first decade as far as people coming and going. Like we had nearly the same people for all about 10 years. And then we got some slamming dudes and like, you know, when one dude moves and he's kind of one of the more pro- prolific writers, you gotta, you gotta start, you know, everybody else has to start bringing charts. So we're like, we're slowly getting back into it. It's funny, this band came before a lot of our other things. We sort of got plucked yeah, after yeah. this. Actually, I remember our first keyboard player, the guy from Sea Legs, he was trying to get the Black Joe Lewis gig, and somebody came and checked him out, checked us out at a Central Market gig, and he didn't. <laughs> they didn't take him, but they took the whole horn section, and that was the bane of my booking existence for many, many years. We all take turns being uh, booking banes. I mean, we've been um, saying for years now that we're going to do. It's like, okay, the next thing's going to have vocalists. So, in my mind, I mean, we've got people specific people we want to work with but we'll probably do like an ep with with all vocals just because you know for us that'll be different we'll see we'll see how that pans out you know when when you listen to western music Mm -hmm. it can get very predictable and it's kind of like going to the ice cream shop you've got your basic flavors but african music is always inspiring to me yeah yeah. like it i don't know what it is but it has it, it i heard someone say once that the beat is into the ground versus like in the States, it's above the ground, you know, it's like into it, the earth, you know, <laughs> that's an interesting way of putting it. And, uh, and yeah, it's like, and then that. it's like, you know, you grow things that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's foundational to the music, you know, it's, um, like we can be put to shame in terms of our rhythm skills by like a group of kids from, you know, random city in Africa, you know, and it's not necessarily because everybody's just better at rhythm, but it's a more foundational concept and communal thing that people just do than here. You know, I mean, we definitely have times where people let loose, but it's not, it's not just like you walk down the street and everybody just starts jamming, you know, we don't really rock like that in america yeah i think in new orleans definitely once upon a time you know yeah 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 there's definitely places like new orleans where it can be pretty hopping and, but you know. you're right it's like very common and jamaica too it's like yeah, yeah it's just something about that i'm like why do they do it and we don't do it are we too busy doing other things i guess but different I, I, world view man yeah i think so and well, I, also it's it's really a part of life like there's a song for everything in west africa like I'm sure you've probably, you know, there's like 
I'm, I'm sure YouTube is full of stuff like this, but you know, um, housewives washing clothes, but having a song and the, the actual act of washing is like really rhythmic and part of the music. Yeah. Or, yeah. and you know, I mean, apply that to everything from, you know, calming your baby to, uh, you know, just walking down the road. There's yeah. something for everything.
78644 is made possible by Texas Hatters, Corazon Team Austin Realtors, The Little Alamo Airbnb, El Rey Bar and Nightclub, Wendy R. Buckery and Gifts, and Birdie House. Our in-kind sponsors are Willigan's Island, Courthouse Nights, Printing Solutions, Gaslight Baker Theater, and Crystal Glaze Photography. Our show is produced by Kate Collins, recorded at Troubadour Image and Sound here in Lockhart, Texas, edited by myself, Stephen Collins, with help from Danny Manning, in-studio performances by Mia Alejandra and Jeremy Joyce, other music by Hard Proof. Our show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, Amazon, Radio Public, and everywhere else where podcasts are streamed. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.